On the 28th of April 1969, Charles de Gaulle resigned the presidency of France after over 10 years in office. He did so following a referendum in which government reforms that he proposed were rejected by a majority of French voters. The 78-year-old de Gaulle, after a lifetime of service in the French military and government, immediately fled to the small town of Sneem in County Kerry, seeking peace and solitude. The six weeks he spent in Ireland are the subject of a new TG Cahar documentary called De Gaulle in Ehring. That's premiering this Wednesday night at half past nine. To talk about it, I'm joined by one of the contributors, Grace Neville, Emeritus Professor in the French Department at University College Cork. Grace, you're very welcome indeed to The History Show. Thank you very much, Miles. Tell us first of all about that uh, rather obscure, ill-fated referendum. Officially, it was about constitutional reforms involving government decentralisation and, and changes to the French Senate, something that was def- would definitely get the juices going, I could imagine. Uh, but de Gaulle viewed it as a referendum on his own leadership, didn't he? He absolutely did, because even to this day, people still ask, what was that referendum about? As you say, it was about um, the reform of the Senate, about the reform of the administration in the provinces. And it really wasn't a pressing issue, as you can imagine, one year after the centre of Paris erupted in riots and so on uh, during what the French call the Événement. So in 1969, this was really not something that people were discussing over the dinner table, discussing in the cafe. But de Gaulle seems to have used it deliberately in order to put it up to the French. Did they want him to continue as president or did they not? Because there was a very strong feeling um, the previous year during the student uprising in Paris that the government was losing its grip. And increasingly, people were wondering whether de Gaulle, a man in his late 70s at that stage, who seemed to be taken, he was kind of on the back foot when the events took place, so to speak, a year earlier. So people were increasingly wondering whether he was the man, whatever about his illustrious past, whether he was the man to lead France into a new Uh, future into a new decade and he was probably wondering himself as well so basically he staked his presidency on this referendum he announced to the French that if the referendum weren't carried he would resign the referendum wasn't carried and he resigned immediately and he lost it or the referendum wasn't carried. It was 52 to 48. Again, um, a split that we remember from another referendum not that long ago. But immediately he said, that's it, I'm gone. And um, he left the Elysee Palace where he had been living obviously for quite a while at that stage um, and never went back. He went home to his home in the Vosges in the east of France, never made a public statement again, never gave an interview. And before anybody realised, when people were still getting used to the shock of this illustrious, almost mythical figure no longer being in their lives. Uh, suddenly he wasn't even in France. He was off in southwest Kerry. So people were scrambling at all levels to understand what was happening. So you've just resigned as president of France after 10 years, after an illustrious political and military career, and you sit down and you think, what am I going to do next? And logically, the first thing that comes into your head is, Asherel head for Southwest Kerry. <laughs> what was all that about? I- I, I really don't think so. Um, this Southwest Kerry in those days, this was before the Wild Atlantic Way had been invented. This was before mass tourism in Ireland. Um, Southwest Kerry and indeed Ireland in general would have been seen as a small island off of Europe, a quiet place, um, an empty place. And I think that at one level that the reason de Gaulle wanted to go there, I 
feel was because he was probably, he was, I would say, shocked. He needed to be on his own. He needed to be away from the busyness of France, the fallout of the referendum, the fallout of him leaving. He said that he came to Ireland, the only reason he gave, uh, he said he came to Ireland in order to go back to the land of his ancestors, he said, because he had an Irish grandmother, so to speak, descended from the McCartans, who had left Ireland at the end of the 17th century and ended up in France, as many Irish families did in those days. But if he wanted to go back to the land of his ancestors, he could have done that many times in the preceding decades, and he chose not to. I think he was, I would say, psychologically fragile and he needed to be on his own in an empty place rather like the monks who used to go out into the deserts long ago in order to be alone with God I think he needed to be alone with himself and that Ireland and the southwest corner of Ireland fitted that very well at the time if you look miles at the photos for example that were taken of him those extraordinary photos you know they still pack a punch in France, even to this day. Um, if you look at the photos of him on the beach in Derry Man, this very tall man, almost six and a half foot tall, he's there with his wife and with his aide-de-camp and with a guard who's, you know, the security person. But he's completely on his own. He's looking out into space. He looks lost. He looks like an old man who's lost, who's fragile and who's just wondering what's happening. Because this was the first time in his life, if you think about it, this was the first time since he'd been a teenager that he wasn't working on behalf of France. He'd gone to the Saint-Cyr Military Academy after school. He was a, a soldier in the First World War. He was wounded. He was held prisoner for over 30 months. Uh, then the Second World War. Then he went into politics. When he resigned in 1969, he was into his second term as president of France. And, and suddenly all of that was gone. It was the only reality that he had known, this life in the, in the public eye. And if you remember the extraordinary image that Pompidou, Georges Pompidou, his successor, used the following year when de Gaulle died. In order to announce to the world that de Gaulle had died, uh, Pompidou said, la France est veuve, France is a widow. Uh, so there was this mythical image of de Gaulle married to France. Uh, it's, it's an image, obviously, that goes away, way back in mythology. So this extraordinary relationship with, with France and France had suddenly told him, well, thanks very much, but you can go now. Um, I would imagine that that was very difficult to, uh, at an emotional level, um, to cope with. And he just needed some time on his own um, by himself. And that's what, as he said himself, he said, that's what Ireland gave him. He said, Ireland gave me what I needed most at that point in my life to be face à face, to be to look at myself, to be alone with myself. And he basically, after the six weeks in Ireland, continued with his life, wrote his memoirs, went back home and and got on with his life as um, a private citizen, really, for the first time, you might say, the first time ever. Started his memoir, apparently, in Ireland, according to the documentary. You mentioned that he said Ireland gave him the peace and quiet he wanted. That was courtesy of, on Garda Siakona, a lot of yes. security <laughs> and some very remote hotels, remote in the sense that they were at the end of a long drive, that they were surra- surrounded by walls, because he didn't get peace from the paparazzi. No, 
Well, paparazzi from all over the world, when they realised that he was no longer in France and he'd been located in, in Sneeman County Kerry, first of all, people had to work out where this was. Um, I remember I was a student, I was a postgrad in France in the 1970s and the number of times that I had to explain to people where Ireland was and that it wasn't Iceland and that it wasn't Holland and so on. So there he was in 1969 in this place called Sneem. Um, but if you read the newspapers from the time, um, they're actually quite funny because you can see uh, journalists doing all up to all kinds of tricks to um, try to get onto the grounds of the hotel uh, near Sneem, hope you know, hoping against hope that they might even get um, they might get an interview. And of course, de Gaulle was having none of this. The guards protected him very, very well, and clearly got got a, from some of the anecdotes. You can see that the guards got quite a kick out of this because there was a, a cat and mouse game going on um, while he was in, in in Sneem. But basically, de Gaulle and the guards came out on top. Um, he did leave the, the grounds of the hotel uh, every week. He'd go to Mass in Sneem and the barber from Sneem would come out to the hotel to cut his hair because if you think about it, you know, you can't have to go all going around for six weeks without having uh, his hair cut. But apart from that, he stayed in the hotel. He stayed in the grounds. He did leave to go to Derry Nan. He absolutely wanted to see Daniel O'Connell's house. And another time he went on a, a spin, as we'd say, to West Cork, but didn't get out of the car uh, and went back to Sneem. So that was it. It was a very, very solitary uh, existence. And I suppose in a sense it kind of prefigured the existence that he was going back to in his home in the little village of Colombe-les-Deux-Églises in the east of France and basically a, a private citizen until he died a year and a half later. Now, the visit to Derry Nan was a very, very interesting one because he had a huge awareness of Daniel O'Connell. And that's partly because apparently his grandmother actually wrote a biography of Daniel O'Connell. That's true. His grandmother was quite a remarkable woman, uh, Josephine uh, de Gaulle, Josephine Maillot de Gaulle. And she was a very prolific writer in the National Library catalogue uh, in Paris, the Bibliothèque Nationale. And there are 194 of her books are listed. So she was a very busy woman. And one of the books that she wrote, it was published around 1850, was a biography of Daniel O'Connell. And again, it was very well received. There were at least three editions of it. So he grew up in a family um, in Lille that was passionate about history, uh, about France's place in history, France's place in the world. His father was a teacher and this biography of, of O'Connell would have been part and parcel of, of his home, of the, the library. Um, in his home. So both of his grandmothers, if you think about it, one of his grandmothers was actually um, a descendant of the McCartans from uh, County Down and his other grandmother was the uh, was one of the many biographers of O'Connell in 19th century France because of course O'Connell was an enormous name in 19th century France and of course much wider than that. He was very well known. His reputation was known from Russia to South America. Um, and in France, there was a kind of O'Connell mania for decades in the 19th century, including after his death, that Irish people are simply not aware of. 
the French regarded him as very much one of their own um, with the same preoccupations about people, um, about minorities, um, the rights of black people, of, of Jewish people. Um, so the, the identification, in a sense, of O'Connell as uh, part of the French liberal Catholic intelligentsia was, was very strong and very deep. And of course, uh, de Gaulle was very aware of that. And he, one can situate him very much um, in that whole view of the world. And of course, he paid tribute in his uh, visit to Derry Nan. He signed the visitor's book and so on and so forth. Didn't live that long after his return to France, no. after that visit in Ireland? No. I, I suppose that the story, certainly the story for me that starts with his visit to Kerry and then continues with the just the very short period, really a year and a half that that he lived um, until he died quite quite unexpectedly, really. And he hadn't been ill particularly. So he died a year and a half later. Um, but he does say at some stage, he, he was a man who, who knew how to use images. And uh, at one stage in the following year, uh, speaking with someone who re- recorded or who remembered this, uh, de Gaulle is reputed to have said that old age was a naufrage. It was like a shipwreck. Um, so I, I would think... Okay, he was very busy and so on, and you know, he, he his family he he had a very strong relationship with the members of his family, um, very happy family life. But um, I, I would think that really the trauma of no longer being married to France stayed with him for the rest of his life. So this is actually the fiftieth anniversary of his death on the ninth of November, yes. nineteen seventy. Uh, Grace Neville, thank you very much uh, for talking to us. The the time the French president spent in Ireland is a fascinating ep- episode in the shared history of our two countries. And the documentary is an excellent documentary. I thoroughly recommend uh, uh, watching. It's great fun aside from anything else. It uh, really brings the period to life. The documentary is called De Gaulle in Ireland. It's on this Wednesday night, the eleventh of November. At half past nine on TG Cahar. Once again, uh, our guest, uh, Grace Neville, she's a contributor to the documentary. Thanks very much for joining us this evening, Grace. Thanks very much, Miles.